Your father gave this to me in Changsha with a warning. He said the mystical powers of the dragon are far too dangerous for one person to possess. When he died, I broke it in half. I kept one piece with me and hid the other where no one will ever find it. The medallion acts as a spiritual amplifier. It magnifies the power inside you. This half gives power over the body. The other half gives power over the soul. Legend says it can transform a man into a bodiless ghost and give him strength of steel. Dark forces know of its existence, and the source of much death and destruction was our responsibility to protect the dragon. Welcome to now playing podcast review of Double Dragon. This is the legend of Double Dragon. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. It's a bad career move, boys. A very bad career move. Hosted by Arnie. Always a tough guy, huh? Justin. Seven years ago, the quake was a trumpet's blow heralding my arrival. And Stuart. Those guys are gnarly. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Oh, you said it. Listener discretion is advised. Don't you think it's time you told us about the dragon? Today we're discussing Double Dragon, starring Robert Patrick, Mark Dacascos, Scott Wolf, and Alyssa Milano. Is this our first Alyssa Milano film on Now Playing? I believe it is. <laughs> and I wanted it to be Teen Steam. I wanted it to be Embrace the Vampire. <laughs> it's the movie she did right after this, by the way. I, it's the kind of movie you have to do right after this. Directed by James Nixon. That's not his real name, but I wouldn't put my real name on this either. I wrote James Ukick. That's his real name, but that's not the name in the credits. If your name's Ukick and you're making a karate film, I make you go with it. This is Arn Bobo, co-host of Now Playing. This is Stuart. And this is Justin, and I will thug for food. <laughs> thug life, right, Boro? <laughs> thug life. Double Dragon. I know nothing about this game. I thought it was Mortal Kombat, honestly. <laughs> it, when I was like, oh yeah, I know Double Dragon, and then I was like, realized I was thinking of Street Fighter. I mean, what is Double Dragon? I only played it for the first time with you, Arnie, a couple weeks ago, and I was very bad at it. It seemed to me like that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, but not as fun. Oh, so you weren't even aware of it back when it was popular. I knew the name Double Dragon and that people were playing it on a console I didn't own, but nah, I never played this. Oh, Double Dragon, I played it so much. I did not know. I've done some research into the game series. I didn't know there was an arcade version. I didn't know what happened to it after the 8-bit days. But what I did know is I had Double Dragon, Double Dragon 2, and Double Dragon 3 for the Nintendo Entertainment System, and I beat all three. I loved these games. They were challenging. They were fun. You were one of the Dragon Brothers, and you had to fight punk chicks with purple hair carrying whips and beefy guys with chains and giant mutants all against this shadow clan but it actually started as an arcade game back in 87 
And people love the arcade game. It was incredibly popular. I downloaded an emulator. I also found out something interesting. It was incredibly buggy. It was actually more graphically difficult than the hardware of the arcade could handle. And so even the stand-up ones had horrible slowdown problems. But it's a beat-em-up game. You're literally going from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, punching and kicking your way through. But what made Double Dragon unique for me is that it had an interactive environment. You'd walk into an area and there'd be barrels and you can walk over to the barrel, pick it up and throw it at somebody. You're fighting a chick with a whip. You kick her. She drops the whip. You pick up that whip and start whipping her now. You know, and that's something that nowadays you take for granted. But back then, that's a big deal. Yeah, I'd had pickups before, but never pickups that I'd taken off of somebody. You know, Contra, you'd shoot things and guns would come from the sky, but I really enjoyed these games. Now, these were a little bit more story-based than Mario, sort of, in that you're in Metro City, not New Angeles, but Metro City, and... The Shadow Ninjas have taken your girlfriend, Marion. You play Billy, and you have to go rescue your girlfriend from this evil ninja guy. That's about as deep as it gets, but it got more complex. On the second one, they actually killed Marion. Then you had to go avenge her death, but if you beat the game on warrior level, as a gift from the gods, she would be resurrected. In the third one, she was the crime boss because she'd been brainwashed or something. So they kind of had this evolution of story. Yeah, it sounds like they were adapting the Death Wish series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, Marion has a rough life. I will say that. It's, I remember I hadn't beaten two when I got three. And I'm like, wait, Marion's the bad guy? But she's dead. And it's a little bit different. The big thing about the arcade game is Double Dragon. You got your name because two people could play at the same time. Mm. I grab a joystick. Justin grabs a joystick. And now you got both brothers, Jimmy and Billy, fighting together. When they ported it to Nintendo, you couldn't do that. So they actually turned Jimmy into the final boss. So you got there and you found out your brother had turned evil and you had to fight him and you were Billy. So it's a little bit of a different story there, but a lot of fun. When we played, what we actually played, Stuart, was Double Dragon 2. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me why they'd put Double Dragon 2 on the Nintendo Classic, you know, the one they just came out with two years ago, uh -huh. and not Double Dragon 1. I'm like, why wouldn't you put 1? It's because 1's not really all that much fun. It's a single-player thing, whereas 2's the one where you have a lot more moves. You can do spinning, jump kicks. That's the other thing, is you level up, and you get better moves as you go. So it's just a fun martial arts game, and I wasn't into martial arts games that much, but any game where I could grab an enemy by the hair and knee them in the face until they're dead, I liked that. <laughs> but I can see where Stuart's confusion comes in because the first one, the arcade one, you're not really pulling kung fu martial art moves. You're really, I mean, sure, you can kick pretty high, but you're not, you know, doing roundhouse kicks and flying halfway across the screen. And so, yeah, this is more of a street fight than double dragoning. Here's the thing is I went back. I have what they call a Raspberry Pi Retro Pi. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what it is, Google it. I'm not going to give you step-by-step -step instructions, but I have every Double Dragon game ever made, including the arcade, the Nintendo, the Atari Jaguar. I mean, 
I have all of them. In fact, I didn't even know until I plugged this in, they ported Double Dragon to the Atari 2600. I didn't even know they were still making Atari 2600 games in 1989. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't compute. I played it. It is abysmal. It is. I couldn't even get past the first guy. It was terrible. But... I replayed Double Dragon 1, 2, and 3 on the Nintendo. I beat Double Dragon on the arcade game. There's a secret with arcade games. If you're willing to spend unlimited money, there's none of them you can't beat. Usually they just want your money. So it was actually a pretty short game. But then I went into an unknown territory. With the Super Nintendo came out, they did Super Double Dragon. They did that for every damn Nintendo game. There is any Nintendo game you want. The S's is the longest category for the Super Nintendo games, because there were Super Ghosts and Ghouls. They had to do Super Mario World, because Mario was already Super. But Double Dragon 4 was the last one by the main company, and it was the last story-based Double Dragon. They then did Double Dragon 5, The Shadow Falls, and it was all of a sudden... A new company did it. It was 1994. What happened in between the years? Street Fighter 2 came out and everybody wanted to play Street Fighter 2 or Mortal Kombat. So then they turned it into that kind of game. There was no story. You were just playing as a Bobo or Jimmy or Billy and fighting each other. It was really lame. All right, basically, the difference between the game that we're covering today and the fighting games that we're going to cover in the future is those future games are all fighting. It's like an arena, whereas this one is a story about two guys trying to find a chick who may be a bad guy in the end. Yeah, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, it's like a boxing match. It's one-on-one. Right. Two must enter, one must leave, you know? Yeah, right. Okay, you're right. And that is one thing I noticed while playing the game is you can go into buildings. There did seem to be different levels and you were going somewhere. I wasn't sure exactly to what effect because I didn't last that long frankly (laughs) but not my kind of game but okay I get get the distinction I will say there is a second game mode where you could just fight brother versus brother and you had the moves it was kind of like a kindergarten version of Street Fighter that we're going to discuss but that was really just a secondary play mode the main thing was fighting together against all those enemies There were a couple Double Dragon games I just couldn't play because they were too new for the Raspberry Pi, but too old for me. Like, I didn't want to break out my Xbox 360 to play them. But there was an Xbox 360 game. It is backwards compatible on the Xbox One. This thing's so fun, I'm still going to be playing it after this review. It's called Double Dragon Neon. It costs 10 bucks. It's a complete remake of the first one, but with vivid colors, up-to-date graphics, better moves, and it's now parody. Like, the chicks with the whips are now actual dominatrixes, and when you punch them, they're like, it's absolutely hysterical (laughs) okay (laughs) you know i did like the game narc which also kind of dealt in those sordid characters the more you can explore that that's what felt dangerous at least about some video games of that time was they were always trying to protect children from real life sordid things and yeah whenever you got a game to slip in real world violence and the oldest profession as it were that's fun as a kid Yeah, the old Double Dragons were no Grand Theft Auto, don't get me wrong, but the fact that you were fighting with whips and chains in the 80s felt more, dare I say, real? Maybe I was watching too much Death Wish and canon films if Mm. I thought that was real. Yeah, I mean, Death Wish 3 would make you believe the world is a very different place than I think it is. 
But while the games were successful, especially I do think on the home platform, it's weird to me that this is one of the very first video game adaptations. In 93, we got Mario. Here we are one year later, Double Dragon. It's not like these guys are the best selling the way Mario is. It's a game people liked, but that this made it all the way up to production as a film was a bit shocking to me then and now. Particularly when you see it. <laughs> this is going to be one of my biggest questions as we go through this movie is, what was going on in 1993 that somebody sat down and said, a Double Dragon movie? Yes, because at this point, we're a good six, seven years past the prime of the arcade game. But we're right in the prime of the Super Nintendo, and this was right after the time of Double Dragon 4, the last of the story-based Double Dragon games, and I'm sure they were trying to get Street Fighter off the ground. That came out the very same year. If Double Dragon had taken that kind of game stance, I could see why they'd think they could cash in on it, and it was supposed to be Synergy. They actually were going to do a video game made during this movie, and I don't know how much you guys know Mortal Kombat. We'll talk about it when we get there. But Mortal Kombat was different from Street Fighter in that Street Fighter was cartoons. And Mortal Kombat was actual pixelated photos of martial artists punching each other. They were going to take the stars of this movie and photograph them and make a double dragon game that had these people in it. <laughs> and they were going to make them at the same time. And they were going to release them at the same time. The difference is, it takes years to make a video game. It took like three months to make this piece of trash movie. <laughs> so it didn't happen and got completely scrapped. We'll talk about it at the end. They did end up using those photos for something else. But <laughs> <laughs> it sounds hokey on the surface, but taking myself back to 93, that actually might have been something that might have got me excited for this movie. It's like, oh, wow, actual people from the movie in the game. Yeah, this was before the Sega CD when you'd actually have the Arnold Schwarzenegger footage in a game or something like that. But would you be very excited, Justin, if you turned on your Neo Geo and Robert Patrick is <laughs> sitting there for you with Scott Wolf? I imagine they're there right now. I mean, this does feel like the level of actor who would normally be stuck doing video game voiceover work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously with Mortal Kombat, it's not named actors that are doing that. So I don't know that that would have been a major deciding factor for me one way or another. I just think that that type of gimmick might have worked better back at that time than doing something like that now. I think people just need to remember how groundbreaking Mortal Kombat was to understand that. But yeah, this was back when I bought a freaking copy of Night of the Living Dead on CD-ROM just so I could watch it on my computer monitor. Never mind that that was half the size of my television in the same resolution. It was just I could watch people on my screen. I wanted to do that. Yeah, there is some attraction that I have that I share, I think, with you guys about just watching pixelated things of reality and vice versa. The idea that we're going to take these rudimentary graphic games and somehow enliven them into live action is exciting. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit, but in fourth grade, my teachers kind of let me take over. You had a substitute the entire year and you were cruel. <laughs> they didn't let you take over. You were an anarchist. <laughs> Be that as it may, they decided the best thing for my creative impulses was to just send me to the library where I could constantly write and create plays based on whatever was popular that week. 
if you saw the movie Rushmore, it's a little bit like his Scarface show. I mean, <laughs> I just, they, and I would do this. I mean, it was like, okay, Cubert, this week, everyone stack the chairs. We're going to hop around. That actually got us ended. Like, someone ended up with a sprained ankle. <laughs> that was the end of my playwriting career. And But there is an attraction I've always had and continue to have with people trying to dramatize things that probably have no business being turned into moving pictures. But like we talked about last week with Mario, I think that's more the case with Mario than here. Here, you have a pretty rudimentary story. I mean, as I said, video games existed to rip off movies in many cases. If you look at the games that came out even as far back as the 80s, they'd look at what's popular and be like, okay, we're going to make a cheap version of it. You mentioned it in the Mario review. You took King Kong and got Donkey Kong. So here... Sure, you've got any B-level martial arts film made from the 70s through the now about a gang kidnapping a woman and two brothers have to go rescue her. I think my favorite of that genre is Showdown in Little Tokyo, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> but it seems so easy to take that and just convert it. But I guess what makes Double Dragon a little bit different is you did have mutants. You were in a rundown. I thought it was just a bad section of town, but it it actually said in Double Dragon 2, the year is 19XX. So the future. <laughs> <laughs> At least 1999, but no more than that. Well, the world ends in the year 2000, right? But yeah, here I guess you have to do this dime store dystopia that they did. There is just an ugly aftertaste that comes with this movie that makes me think of so many other movies where it's like, we have no money, but we have to be in a dark future. Like Stallone in Judge Dredd, or Escape from L.A., or Predators, or Tank Girl, or Johnny Mnemonic, where basically we're going to dirty up an alley and call it the future. You're naming the ones that had some money, too. I mean, yes, this is a common trope for people on the Roger Corman level of filmmaking, is that nobody wants to watch a movie in present day that's underlit and dank and ugly. But if you can somehow sell it to science fiction, that gets a built-in audience. And yes, yeah, so many films. After Mad Max, every independent director went out into the California desert and tried to say, nuclear wars happened and this is our show. I didn't know if that was built into the game or not, but honestly, I didn't know much about this movie. I was shocked, just dumbfounded to find out it was released in 1,087 screens in November of 1994. Oh, that was a big release back then. Nowadays, 3,000 is the number, but there were a lot fewer screens in the mid-90s. This was playing at a time... I mean, I was in full film school immersion. I wouldn't have dared to even think about this. But I learned of this movie many years later, thumbing through a video store. I had no idea. And after seeing this movie, I cannot believe it had the faith of the people who made it to put it out in such a wide release. Yeah, this feels from the poster, even, direct-to-video type of thing. But yes. much like you, Stuart, I had never even heard of it until we started looking at this retrospective. And I guess it makes sense. Sure, Double Dragon was a big name video game. And why wouldn't somebody try to make a movie of it? The things that shocked me were to find out that there were actually named actors in this thing. You know, the first time we see Alyssa Milano, my jaw about hit the floor. Well, for multiple reasons, but <laughs> we're talking post who's the boss. Named actors is certainly a subject of debate at that point. Alyssa Milano had a career of recovery a few years after this. 
but around this time, she was doing Poison Ivy 2 and the Long Island Lolita story for television. She was aimless, but... I knew about this movie when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters because I was actually far more interested in Interview with a Vampire. I was reading the Anne Rice novel and all hyped for Guns N' Roses and Lestat. So I didn't pay any attention to this until the summer of 95. It was out on video. I was back home for the summer with nothing to do. So I watched it then. Once. I thought I never, ever, ever needed to return, but apparently now playing is going to drag me back in. But I guess it kind of makes sense, because when this movie came out, there was already a Double Dragon toy line and things, because I didn't know this, there was a Double Dragon cartoon series that ran for two years. I actually did go back, though, and watch some of those Double Dragon cartoons. I could make it through two episodes. The pilot was kind of interesting in that they followed the plot of the first Nintendo game where it's brother against brother. They don't even know their brothers. They were separated at birth. And then the evil brother turns good. And for the rest of the series, they fight together. I thought it was really a ripoff of He-Man as they literally hold swords over their head and scream, By the power of the dragon! <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Never seen that before. <laughs> and they cover their face with masks and they fight with swords. It wasn't much like the game, really. The only characters from the game were Jimmy, Billy, and a Bobo, and in literally episode two, they sent a Bobo into, like, the Phantom Zone and he never returns. Oh, a Bobo. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. I never saw it in the game that I played, but I want to send it in the Phantom Zone as well. I think it's a combination of us being too old at the time. And as I brought up a little bit earlier, I think the time frame for Double Dragon's popularity had already passed. You know, for the mass market, Double Dragon is a game from the late 80s. We're now almost in the mid 90s when this movie's hitting theaters. It's worth pointing out, though. It's not like this was expected to be the production that Super Mario Brothers was. Super Mario Brothers had one of the biggest budgets greenlit at the time. This movie was made for a paltry $8 million by Gramercy Pictures, a B-level studio. I mean, I can't imagine that they thought this was going to be epic, that everyone would see it. I think they thought, hey, if Van Damme is doing Street Fighter... We can cough up something, the kid from Party of Five and this wannabe Michael Dudikoff and get a couple clamps too. Yeah, $8 million, it's more than your direct-to-video budget. It's what's considered, actually, back then, a medium-budget film. You know, it, the cost of movies have gone up so much that now this is, like, what you do with your credit cards as an indie is $8 million. But back then, it was kind of low-end, middle-of-the-road, but... Given that these games were no Street Fighter, were no Zelda, no Mario, probably the right amount to spend. I'd rather just play the game live stream than uh, relive this one, but we have to talk about the plot. The year is 2007. <laughs> Let's see how accurate. I mean, this is part of the fun. It's like, okay. And California is underwater after the big earthquake. Mm, not yet. Los Angeles has been renamed New Angeles, and it is overrun by colorful gangs that own the night. Mm, I was very disappointed when I moved there and there was no clown gang. The police run in fear and a curfew has been enacted for the safety of the New Angelinos. Into this comes Koga Shuko, a kung fu fighting crime boss played by Robert Patrick looking like Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> Shuko seeks a medallion called the Double Dragon. So the Double Dragon is always changing. In the game, it was the brothers. In the cartoon, it was their power that came from a 
tattoo birthmark, and here it's this medallion. But the double dragon will give Kogashuko magical powers of body and spirit. He has half the medallion, allowing his spirit to turn to shadow and inhabit the bodies of others. Now he wants the other half, which will make him invincible. The other part of the medallion is in the possession of Shuko, a martial artist entrusted with hiding the medallion, played by Julia Nixon. Shuko is also the caretaker of teenage brothers Jimmy and Billy Lee, played by Mark Dacascos and Scott Wolf, respectively. They were entrusted to her when Shuko killed their father. Shugo kills Satori, but the boys run off with the medallion. Shugo hunts them with his henchwoman Lash, played by Christina Wagner, <laughs> and mutated gang leader Bo Abobo. Mm. More, Shuko has united all the gangs, so Billy and Jimmy have no place to hide. They turn for help to their friend Marion Delario, played by Alyssa Milano. She is the leader of a group called the Power Corps a cadre of young people who fight to take back the streets from the gangs. I think she's just wearing the leftover leotards from Teen Steam. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, at an arcade, the showdown comes between Billy and Jimmy and Shuko. Shuko takes control of Jimmy's body and fights Billy and successfully unites the medallion, turning into two shadow warriors. But Marion turns on the lights, taking away the powers. That's one hell of a medallion right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm invincible. Oh my God, the light bulb. It's not even sun like a vampire. Like 60 watt bulbs was enough. <laughs> Jimmy and Billy each take a half of the medallion, giving them special powers and sequined outfits. And Shuko gets arrested, empowering the cops to launch a campaign to take back the night as credits roll. I know I'm in trouble right from the bat. This opening narration about thousands of years ago in ancient China, the city of Shang Sa, and a good king, and all of this, I'm like... I played it three times. I'm writing it down. I'm like, can you slow down? Can I get a Star Wars-like scrawl or something here so I can ingest whatever you're babbling? I think the only reason they're doing this is because we're looking at liquid metal. And of course, the first actor we're going to see is Robert Patrick, most famous for being the T-1000 liquid metal Terminator that looked so cool and had so much money only a few years ago. I mean... What a plummet that he is here in this picture just three years after T2. Robert Patrick's career really did take a hard turn after T2. I don't think he recovered until the late 90s when he got on the X-Files. Yeah, as the would-be Duchovny. I don't think it ever recovered. Let's just be honest. He <laughs> never got another gig cooler than the T-1000. <laughs> but he is, I think, the top-billed actor here, and he is the villain whose name is Victor but is billing himself as something unpronounceably Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> Why and how and what does he hope to do? I can't figure him out. This is where I was hoping Arnie could help us out because... I assumed that he was taken directly from one of the games. Like, the reason that they have this white man playing a Japanese-named character, to me, said it has to be from the game. Right. Uh, no. It's completely new for this movie. The closest thing I can come is the enemies in the game were called the Shadow Gang, and here he's going to turn into Shadow. That's the closest thing I can get. As for this, he thinks he is the reincarnated... Kuga Cuckoo Puffs? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Koga Shuko? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I have another question. 
All right, this movie was difficult to find at all. Because people are trying to protect you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Like the medallion, it should be hidden away with its powers away from human eyes. Well, like the medallion, I had to go overseas to get it. I had to get a German Blu-ray. What is it with Germany? I don't know, but it's weird that overseas Mario and Double Dragon are released in special editions with bonus features. Here, Double Dragon has been out of print since 1999. Yeah. But even on this special edition Blu-ray, I had real trouble with the audio. First of all, it was like the music was turned up too loud. And second of all, honestly, everybody's screaming the whole time like, ah! And some people are talking during it. I had to turn on subtitles. I had real trouble understanding the words that were coming out of their mouth. Yeah, I did, but I didn't think it was that important. Yeah, ultimately, it doesn't matter that much what they're saying most of the time. So we begin, quote, somewhere in China, one of the few subtitles I did read. Oh, it doesn't matter where. Somewhere in China. (laughs) uh, There's a village. Some monks are running around. And this hooded ninja comes riding in on horseback with a whip. We'll find out that it is, I'm presuming, something from the game. Well, there are women with whips in the game. So, yeah, that's the closest we get. They weren't named Lash. Linda Lash. But here we get Christina Wagner, a woman who I'm much more familiar with her husband than herself. Is it Lyle Wagner? Jack Wagner, who from Melrose Place and The Bold and the Beautiful. Because I watched Melrose Place, I know Jack Wagner pretty well. Oh, he had a pop song in the 80s as well, All I Need. Yeah, that's right. Right up there with Don Johnson's heartbeat. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. But Christina Wagner bringing her general hospital acting skills to the game. This was the one place where I wasn't surprised. I looked at the eyes. I guess they put makeup on the eyes of the hooded warrior. Because I'm looking at those eyes and I'm like, I think that's going to be a reveal that that's a woman. I thought Melissa Milano. I didn't think, I never think of Christina Wagner. (laughs) I know we're in trouble. Yes. From the get go, I'm like, this is very, very bad. And it all of its 8 million is on the screen right here in the village. The shocker is... Now, this opening in which she reclaims the medallion is the most fighting we're going to get in a game based on fighting. I am appalled. I mean, the one thing I would expect to get in a Double Dragon movie is that the main characters are going to have to punch and fight their way through a conflict. This is the only fight scene, correct? Maybe the end. There's a number of chases. I mean, they're attacked a lot. They just always run away. Yeah, I up until maybe the last five minutes, no one else is going to come in and maraud and kick and fight except this Linda Lash here in this nameless Chinese village. And I'm really confused because if you look at the outfits and everything and you start with that narration, I thought we were in the ancient past. I thought we were going to see the origin of the medallion. When Wagner pulls off her hood, it's Linda Lash and she pulls out a cell phone. I'm having culture shock. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The opening, you're right, is very mystical and giving us some history. And next thing you know, she's standing back in the office in New Angeles. And it just, it's one of many whiplash inducing moments in this movie. But Stuart, you're forgetting that as we meet our heroes, they're engaged in a karate kid style tournament. Yes, we know that there are two parts of the medallion. Robert Patrick is very angry that Linda Lash only found half of it. That's because the caretaker of that medallion was smart enough to split it in two and the other half 
is with, yes, the guy I mostly know for being confused with Tom Cruise. He looks just like Tom Cruise. He might even act like Tom Cruise, but he sure didn't get hits like Tom Cruise. You talking about Scott Wolf? Yeah. The one whose name I couldn't remember. I kept telling Marjorie, yeah, I'm watching this movie with Scott Foley. Yeah. <laughs> Another 90s TV actor. I just call him the party of five guy. <laughs> That's what I did too, but I thought it was Scott Foley. This guy, I watched half an episode of Party of Five, literally. I'm like, I thought it was a new 90210. It was just a whole bunch of people crying over their parents. I'm like, pass. But I don't know this guy from, I think, anything. I literally think this is the only thing I've ever seen of his. Oh, yeah, he was going to be a big deal. They were grooming him to be something in the 90s. Party of Five is probably what he's known for. I didn't watch TV in the 90s. I saw him in a movie called White Squall, which was a very bad ripoff of Dead Poet Society that Ridley Scott made. Very epic sailing footage, really bad story. And he was the star. Yeah, in the late 90s, there was a pretty decent indie-ish type of movie called Go that he... Oh, oh we saw that together, Stuart, yeah, and we both yeah. forgot he was in it. That's right. He was in that as well. It was an ensemble, Pulp Fiction-ish kind of thing. Very much so. Yeah. yeah, but good callback, Justin. I forgot all about that one. That was a good movie. Yes. He might have even been good in it. I can't remember him in it. I'll say this right now. It's his best work ever, because it ain't Double Dragon. <laughs> yeah, so once we meet them and we see them fighting, here's what I know. Mark DeCoscos, I think of as being bottom feeder, direct-to-video action star. Like, he's in Kickboxer 5. He was in the TV series of The Crow. When you can't get Michael Dudikoff and Brian Bosworth, they called him. You know, he was in those 90s action movies that always ran late night in Cinemax. He's a martial artist. That's what he's here to do. He can fight. He can kick. And you kind of can see that here in this opening match. Yeah, I, first of all, don't see these two as brothers. <laughs> no. I mean, maybe interracial parents. Half-brothers. As for Mark DeCoscos, first of all, I think his name is sounds like Costco, so I do think he was the discount as martial <laughs> artist, but also, we get him here on his way up to what I think his biggest film would be, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, that's not kind. (laughs) I actually know this guy best from watching Talk Soup on E! Because his career ended up being the Iron Chef on the Food Network. (laughs) The guy who's like, tonight's secret ingredient is mushrooms! (laughs) Tonight's secret ingredient is clams! Oh boy. (laughs) He hadn't done a whole lot here. This may have been what he considered a star-making role for him. But yes, he's obviously hired because he can do the moves, which is really weird why you have Scott Wolf. Maybe Scott Wolf is supposed to be the sexy one because in the game, Billy got Marion, not Jimmy. So maybe you needed one who would be the romantic lead for Alyssa Milano, and then you needed one who would fight. But they spend most of the movie running, not fighting. So Dacascos's martial arts skills are wasted, and I don't think Scott Wolf has any skills. Correct. Yeah, he can't fight. 
I don't think that there's a punch he throws that his stunt double doesn't do for him. And this whole quote-unquote fight ends very quickly because he decides to give a guy a noogie when he should be fighting him. But it quickly devolves. Like, I don't know after this opening whether they're good fighters or or bad fighters and, and need to learn something. I don't know what the journey of this movie is supposed to be for them. You mentioned that in some iterations of the cartoon and the game, they fought each other. I wondered if it wasn't going to be brother against brother because Billy does ruin it for Jimmy and Jimmy seems kind of mad that they're not going home with the trophy. And add to that, as far as character development goes, you're right. This scene sets it up as if Billy's going to be the funny one. Jimmy's going to be the more stoic one that is down to earth. But that doesn't go anywhere the rest of this movie. It's not a thread that either one of them follow and keep in character as. You know, Jimmy's going to try to be funny. Billy's going to try to be serious later. This whole scene does nothing but show that they are into karate. I don't know if they're good at it. I thought it was supposed to show Billy's a hothead and Jimmy's a rational one. I thought we were supposed to get those character traits, but that they're both good fighters because even though they lose the tournament because they're disqualified, they then kick the asses of the people who did win. But that doesn't make me like them. That makes them sore losers, right? When they're like kicking the genuine winners into the judges table and it's starting a riot, I'm thinking that, yeah, the hothead one has a lot to learn about character. And there's absolutely nothing in this movie that's going to teach him to learn patience and that to not kick enemies is a good thing. No, yeah, they're going to go home in their dragon wagon. It's a station wagon that, I mean, the joke writes itself. Guess what? It runs on garbage. They just keep feeding it garbage and going along. And that just feels like this whole movie. But yes, it is after hours curfew. Everyone needs to be indoors like it's purge night because (laughs) they just, the police just concede we can't protect new Los Angeles. We're going to let gangs run the city. There's a truce. The agreement is we'll let the cops out during the day, but at night you better be hiding in the precinct because this city is Well, how do we learn all this information about needing to be off the streets because of a curfew? It's not done with our characters who are in the car racing home because they need to get inside. We get these interstitial news cuts. This movie so wants to be RoboCop. I know. It's just aching to be RoboCop. And it thinks the way to satirize the news like Paul Verhoeven is to have your weather delivered by Andy Dick and your news by... Vanna White and George Hamilton. And honestly, given the current state of newscasters with Matt Lauer and that football player on ABC, I'd rather have George Hamilton. (laughs) Yeah, let's just talk about James Yukik or whatever he's calling himself. I'm surprised it's not Alan Smithy by the end of this, but... (laughs) He is a director of many major music videos. David Bowie's Modern Love, every video Phil Collins and Genesis ever made, Hall & Oates, Kenny G, Gloria Stefan, New Kids, Debbie Gibson, even a weird Michael Jackson video called Liberian Girl. I saw that video. Um, I'll tell you this. I looked at his filmography. He's no David Fincher when it comes to memorable videos because you'd look at things like Janie's Got a Gun. You walk away like that is some artful stuff. You walk away from I Wish It Would Rain Down and are like, that's a nice pop single. No, but this is the thing to do in the 90s. Honestly, this was the career trajectory. If you proved yourself by selling songs with some flashy videos that got a lot of play on MTV, they would let you direct a movie. Just not a good movie. 
<laughs> you know, they'll let you direct a video game movie. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> and and that helps fill in a little bit of what I'm asking as I'm watching this movie is, why does it feel like this movie has an attention span of five-minute spurts? <laughs> right. It ha it has no direction at all. The director has no control over a story. We can't stick with the characters. We can't follow through lines. I dare say it could be arranged in any order and would make just about as much sense. It is a movie that seems to have been made without a director at all. Well, a couple things on that. First of all, I did look. This is one of his only two feature films. They let him direct again? Something called A Fair to Remember, F-A-R-E. It starred Malcolm Jamal Warner in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can tell you is it was not direct-to-video. Sounds like something Hallmark is itching to play. But the year after this, he was right back doing music stuff. The very next year, he'd do farm aid. But finally, I think this explains to me why on the German DVD, they were pimping this movie soundtrack. The movie is out of print. The soundtrack is readily available. Yeah. And if you listen, there is a lot of pop music in this movie that comes and goes, we got some Coolio. And you can't get any of the people, like all the A-list people he made videos for did not. He has the woman who did Gypsy Woman, la-da-dee-da-dee-da. -da. Her second single is on here. The Farm. <laughs> I had that album. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, The Farm. A lot of fake industrial and early 90s Madchester sounding English pop. I listened to the entire soundtrack. It streams free for Prime members. And it reminded me what a pit the post-grunge 90s were for music. It reminded me of nothing so much as like that 90210 soundtrack that came out with those like R&B ballads on it. Stevie B, Dream About You, and... Yes, we think of the early 90s being specifically about grunge, but all music genres were being serviced, and if you were paying attention to any of them, you probably know some of the artists that were on this soundtrack. They are second-string, third-string players in the early 90s sound. Yeah, the only one who I knew by name was Coolio, and his song on here was not very good. Yeah, it wasn't the Coolio song that you know. And if you're hiring this guy because he makes music videos, you want good music. You want to have the music synced up with good action. But as we get into our first chase, one of many, where we see the boys in their dragon wagon trying to pick up what they think is a woman underneath the hood of a car and then being tricked by the one of five gangs that are running this town, the Mohawk Gang, it does play like a good music video. I know it doesn't play as good cinema. That's not my expectation. But I don't even think that this would have played on MTV. The gang is not even as good as from Michael Jackson's Bad a decade earlier. No. no. But here's where I can at least follow the idea of what this is trying to do at this point. This does feel at least a little bit like a video game. The game it's based on is not a racing game, but there's plenty of games in the arcade at this time where you, there's steering wheels and you can run down streets or whatnot. So I'm going to give them a little bit of credit for at least trying to bring a video game element into this movie, which so far has been just a mishmash of different styles and tones so far. The Dragon Wagon is equipped with some turbo boosts directly out of a video game. And when they get to the part where Bo Abobo actually gets them trapped in the alley, they have a little heads-up display right out of the game 
telling you who your next opponent's going to be. There they go. They actually try to create CGI graphics. You know, they throw a map on the guy's windshield and he has to rely on a camera that turns the street pixelated. Again, that's fun. But this movie's ugly and I wouldn't want to play that game if that were a game. Sure. And like Stuart pointed out, they don't fight here, though. They set it up for a fight. We see who their opponent's going to be in the stats and they run away. Yeah. And Bo Abobo... I remembered him. I'm like, I think that's the bald mutant creature that's really top-heavy from the game. And I looked it up, and it was. I'm like, so they just went big muscular mohawk guy. That's an interesting down-to-earth choice. Then I see where they go with him. (laughs) Oh, naive Arnie in the first 20 minutes of the movie. I did not remember (laughs) much about this. All I remembered was really pain from 1995. (laughs) The other thing is I had one of those, I know that guy, hanging out with Bo Abobo. I recognize this guy too. He played not Anthony Michael Hall in the TV version of Weird Science. Yes, he's credited as smart-ass Mohawk. He's the one who later gets poked in the eye. John Asher. I just had this big, I know that guy. Where do I know that guy from? And so I had to pause the movie, look it up, be like, okay, yeah, he's fake Gary. And then go back to this movie. He does have a very memorable, smart-ass smile. Even under that really, really fake-looking bald cap. Yes. Well, this sets me up for a movie that I would be okay with. I mean, I love the Warriors, and I'm all fine for doing a discount version of that. If that's what they're here to do, there were a lot of them at this time. I mean, Judgment Night was out this time, Trespass. All better movies than Double Dragon. There were several people trying to recreate the magic of that 79 Walter Hill classic. This movie would be a whole lot better if it were just them trying to get home, curfew is down, and neighborhood after neighborhood they have to fight different street gangs but yeah this mohawk gang just kind of goes away after they wreck their truck and the only other quote-unquote gang we see is the power core well i got the warriors vibe later on where there's like a clown gang and a mailman gang yeah well if the movie had been all we gotta get home curfews down and neighborhood by neighborhood this would be a remake of the warriors but we don't see those gangs in this thing everyone's so frightened of Alyssa milano's pixie cut die job (laughs) that they go screaming away and who can blame them i kept writing in my notes i forgot they were the power core i wrote power pack which is a really lame (laughs) team of marvel superheroes (laughs) yeah they all are like spattered in paint and i guess the point is they're bringing light to dark Los Angeles when no cop will dare to be on the street, they're going to try and implement some kind of vigilante justice. Except they don't really do anything. So now the movie doesn't want to be Robocop. It wants to be Robocop 3 where we're dealing with the homeless gang under the streets. Robocop 3 would be a high bar to hit. (laughs) Yeah, it's just amazing to me at this point that Stuart has already written a better synopsis for this movie by them just taking... The idea of what the Warriors was, and obviously they're not afraid to plagiarize. They have plagiarized every other movie that has come before this up to this point. So why not just take that script and adapt it to your story and background here? If the medallion thing isn't from the game, I don't know why we have to spend so much time with them trying to figure out where it came from. We don't see flashbacks about how it broke apart or even what it does. We're told one's part body and one's soul. I don't know what that means. But yeah, we spend way too long on medallions when I think the fun of this movie, if there's any at all, it's 
running through post-apocalyptic Los Angeles and meeting strange, colorful people. So if it's not enough at this point that we've met enough characters and enough gangs, Alyssa Milano can't just be the leader of the Power Corps. We also have to get her home life story, too. She ends up being the daughter of the police chief who has this truce with the gangs to not police the streets after night. How very Batgirl of her. <laughs> yeah. I did really get a Batgirl vibe off of her with the commissioner and all that. She's put on that wig and I'm like, oh yeah, this is 66 Batman. Well, sure. And she's sneaking out. Her father doesn't know that she is the leader of the power core. It's an unnecessary subplot to a movie that already has... Too much going on visually with characters that aren't going anywhere at this point anyway. How old is Alyssa Milano? I mean, again, I associate with her being a big star to me in the late 80s as being part of Who's the Boss? You didn't miss it on Tuesdays. And then, yeah, she did her exercise video Teen Steam, and I have no idea what she did after that. Oh, you're completely forgetting her TV movie Crash Course? That was Tina Yothers. It was also her. Oh, my God. We be driving. Oh, I couldn't forget that. I just, she didn't have the more memorable part, I guess. I rewatched that. Wow. But she was 22 when this movie was filmed. Okay. So she would still have a lot of cachet with our generation and maybe people slightly older at this time. Is she supposed to be bringing in tweens and little kids? Is this a kid film or is she going all grown up? And we're now entering a more sophisticated action movie realm. You have asked the question, I don't know. I came in here like, if this is a children's film, if this is really aimed at seven-year-olds, then I am judging it way too harshly. Right. And I need to really dull my senses and amp up my sugar intake and try to view it from that level of, if I'm a spastic kid who just ate Frosted Flakes with my Golden Grams, could I keep up with this movie? <laughs> but... There's too many butt shots of her for me to really think this is aimed at seven-year-old. But I, we've seen enough kids' movies where they ogle the women to please dad. I mean, I actually think that's something you have to do when you make a kid's film. Sure, but yeah, they are really sexualizing specifically her ass in this movie <laughs> for whatever reason. I, I could tell you the reason. <laughs> Because this movie doesn't know what it wants to be, and it doesn't know that it's five years too late to the game. And that goes to what you're asking about Alyssa Milano. Like, who is she here to bring in? Well, she's here to bring us in, but five years prior to this, when we were still 15 and had the hots for Alyssa Milano. Now we're 20, and it's like, oh yeah, Alyssa Milano used to be hot. Yeah, but Who's the Boss ended in despair in 1992, and the movies she did before this was Judd Nelson's Conflict of Interest and Chad Lowe's Candles in the Dark. She was a name you recognized, but she was not a draw when this movie came. I mean, I really do, well, as much as I love the film, I have to believe Embrace of the Vampire is the low point of her career when she's really doing softcore porn. Yeah, that's the next step for her is Skinamax. But at this point, I'm just trying to understand what she might be pitching herself as. I feel like this should be a pop star. I feel like if this director has worked with music videos and musicians all his life, wouldn't this be better served if this were Debbie Gibson or Tiffany or somebody with that cachet? <laughs> Can you name somebody from the 90s? Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> TLC, you know, Left Eye. Okay. Chili. <laughs> I think she was even wearing these paint-spattered clothes. Well, this script and this story is not doing Alyssa any favors. Neither is the haircut. Mm -mm. But 
There's just something extra off about her delivery in many of these scenes. And her tone is off. Her takes just seem like the first one and let's move on. I can't imagine there was a lot of direction or a lot of emphasis on the acting. I think if this director was paying attention to anything, it is the funny bits. It's the details of the world. He loves trying to be Paul Vorhoven in the future and having these news reports and the little building jack devices that are meant to prop up buildings when the earthquake tremors and aftershocks are rattling everything. That's the stuff he really cares about. I don't think he cares about performers and actors. I don't think he's ever had to. You know, again, you're not telling a story in a music video. You're just letting the performer be who they are. And I think he's left these TV actors to be who they are, and it's not holding our attention in a feature film. No, two TV actors and a stuntman and Robert Patrick are not really working out. And, man, there's just so much bad humor here. The New Angeles stuff... I think I might have smirked when they said that they're at Man's Chinese Theater and it's completely underwater, and I think that's it. And the fact that I can't believe they really did this. I can't believe somebody put this on paper, and then somebody else said, yes, we'll film it, and then an editor left it in that Koga Shuko has two henchmen, Huey and Lewis, and he asks, any news? Oh, brother. And no surprise that this director had done many Huey Lewis videos, and was it a nod to them? Why not get Huey for this, then? Again, I, if you know so many people and want to name drop, this should be an MTV production. It should be campy. It should be more out there. It should look a lot more like Tank Girl in its presentation. Here... Only in these moments do I feel like it has that humor. For the rest of it, it's just kind of a dismal affair of wandering through very darkly lit streets. But the plot kicks in after that car chase. Apparently, Bo Abobo was already working for Koga Shuko during that car chase. So now Koga's going to take things into his own hands and go to their house and kill their guardian Satori. Yeah, the woman that is basically here to explain why the medallion's important to begin with. I mean, this is a classic move. You come in, you give one, it is the powered, blah, 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 and boom, done. We don't need you anymore, and they write her off with a, by, they live in a rundown theater that explodes for reasons that probably make sense if I rewound, but I wasn't going to. During the fight, there's a gas leak, and that's why Koga lights a match as he knows that there's a natural gas leak and it's going to blow everything up. Right. The explosion's not hard to explain. What's hard to explain is they wrote this. <laughs> Why did they write it that she was trapped and then they freed her and then she decided to give herself up anyway once they were at the door? Because she was going to be martyred. You've seen Hardware Wars, right? When the Obi-Wan character's like, go on, I'll be okay. That's what I was thinking of when she closes the door in front of her. I actually put in my nose, she doesn't want to live anymore. This is it. She's like, I'm done. And if this were the story of boys that had to become men, and she's the mother figure that's been taking care of them, it makes sense to take out the mother and have these guys learn maturity. But all they're going to really do is wandering around L.A. for a little bit before they go find Alyssa Milano and beat up some people. I mean, there's no nothing lost or learned by this sacrifice. She clearly was just here for exposition purposes. There's a much better way to write somebody as a martyr. It just shows me that the people writing this, the people directing this, just 
just do not care for these kinds of things. And so now Koga has killed their real father, apparently, allegedly. It's it's said in dialogue and never shown, but whatever, fine. How old is Robert Patrick at that point then? <laughs> he killed them back then. I, yeah, I don't know. But then he killed their adoptive mother. We don't know what happened to their actual mother, do we? No, and you know, when you said Satori is their guardian... I was wondering where you got that. I don't know if that was ever spelled out in the movie. I was like, is this an older sister? Is this their adoptive mom? When they were in the car, I thought she might be a girlfriend. Right. She could have been one of their girlfriends. The point of a director is that they have the final decisions. They're the ones that say, this is that way. This is going to be that way. On a movie set, everyone has their own ideas about how things should be, what they're going to do, how they're going to play it, what it all means. And the director says, it will be done like this. I thought that was the producer's job because the producer held the paycheck well the producer can fire the director and then get a director that will agree to what they want but yeah ultimately the director's job is to unify a vision and so that's why i've got to put all of these problems on this music video guy who just doesn't care about the story isn't given a particularly interesting story but also isn't delivering cool images set to cool music in this theater we should see some really cool fighting it's time to do the game and you have the eye as a music video director to deliver a live action video game, I would think. And yet it's kind of a running around on the Double Dare set until it explodes. Yeah, if you have any gimmicks or trick shots up your sleeve, now's the time to use them. You know, show me some cool new style slow-mo fighting. I mean, I'm not looking for bullet time or anything super innovative here. Just anything to make this more exciting than just running around an empty warehouse. And to me, my thought was, this is just what sci-fi action movies kind of were if they were in this mediocre budget until The Matrix came along and decided we should all be clad in leather and using computers. But pre-Matrix, this was somebody's idea of cool. And I don't know whose idea of cool it is to show the two brothers practicing a workout that looks like ballet. They're like doing flips and holding hands. <laughs> but before we get too far away from the mess that is the theater, have we mentioned that Bo Abobo comes back as a steroided mutant freak? I assume this had to be from the game. Like now he looks like what we would expect. So he should do something cool, right? He's very big. He comes storming in there. Did Bo Abobo have a move or is there something? Uh... It depends on the type. I mean, his big thing was that he was like twice as tall as you were and he was hugely muscular. But yeah, I mean, he'd throw you because he was so big. Sometimes in the arcade version, he'd clap his hands over your head and you'd fall down. But he was just a really tough enemy. Okay. Uh, I would like to see something done that is tough because he's here essentially to be wounded. He gets kicked down on something and appears like his spine is broken. He's kind of wriggling around like a baby. Next thing I know, Alyssa Milano is rescuing him and delivering him to perhaps the most grotesque scene I can recall watching for now playing. That spinach funnel torture <laughs> is skin crawlingly alarming I'm not even sure how that would work it's still spinach it's just gonna stick in the funnel it's just something it's i can't even explain it really it's just instinctively and i think about that scene the sounds being made the images 
all of that. Alyssa Milano and that haircut, feeding him spinach and him crying like a baby. I just want to burn every copy of this movie. I want to make it a personal mission to, you know, normally I'm not for censorship, but I would book ban and burn every copy of Double Dragon if I could because they put me through that. And you'll have a hard time finding any copies. I had to scramble to get one to review. It's the Germans that have got a <laughs> warehouse full of it somewhere. But that scene, I was confused by that too. That that was some form of torture to get information from him. But now he has the intellect of a baby. So it's like this movie's version of Sloth from Goonies. But now you're seeing Sloth be tortured by having spinach shoved down his throat. And I'm like, why spinach? Does she think he's muscular like Popeye? I don't get this. Or, yeah, somebody said, what's something that kids think is gross? Spinach. All right, we won't think about this any further. Spinach is gross. Let's use it. Yeah, is this for kids because, yeah, spinach is gross? Or is this some kind of John Waters egg baby kind of, like, <laughs> twist on, like, how to make you feel unsettled and unnerved by the implication. I don't know what to say other than I want to run screaming hives are popping up all over me thinking about how awful and ugly this world is. <laughs> and again, the middle of the movie is directionless. They are going to kind of wander around and find out that basically Coco Cuckoo Puffs has <laughs> paid off all of the gangs, all five gangs. There's a clown gang, a nerd gang, a maniac gang, the Mohawk gang, and the Postman. So all of those people are now unified with one express purpose. They have to get these two brothers and the medallion to Coco Cuckoo Puffs. Hey, I was just happy because we have another weird science connection in the movie is Michael Berryman. It's like, he's the one who's, can you dig it? Only yes. you get the guy from the hills have eyes. Yeah, he was always <laughs> popping up in the 80s because he had such a bizarre, like, you always know this guy's super tall, bald head, strange, you know, look that could either play for comedy or he could look like a killer, depending on how you wanted to use it. And here, I guess he's kind of holding court in Thunderdome until we see Robert Patrick put on the medallion and we see his power now. He can pop out of his body and be an animated silhouette, a shadow, if you were, and then kind of I don't know if it's more convenient to choke you as a shadow. Maybe you don't see it's coming, but he just kind of chokes him. Yeah, a power that he won't use again anywhere else. Because there's lights. <laughs> It just, oh, man. You know, and I'm not saying every movie's going to have the budget for special effects, but these guys basically just found the emboss button in their Photoshop software, <laughs> and that was their special effect here. It was so bad looking. I have to wonder if Robert Patrick, you know, he knew that he wasn't making a great movie, but, you know, after coming off T2... He was like, wow, those guys in post-production really made this look great. Yeah. When he sat down to watch this the first time, his heart had to sink into his chest. Yeah, he went from Die Hard 2 to Terminator 2 to Double Dragon. I mean, he did have a stop and fire in the sky, but as far as action movies go, I do think this was the start of the end for him. Yeah, it would be the end for, I would think, anyone. I, it may be the end of me. Yeah, it's just <laughs> someone that watches movies. <laughs> okay, so at this point, I'm not invested in the journey of these brothers because I don't know that they're on a journey. They're not. I don't know what they're doing, where they're heading. So I guess at this point, let's look at Kogo Shuko and his motivation. He has a clear motivation. He has half a medallion. He wants the other half so he can rule the city. Fine. Is there a dropped 
plot point here? Or did I miss something in exposition about him owning all these corporations or being the corporation of Shuko? Because I've seen a few things through the movie. There was a box of Rice Krispies that was front and center in a scene where it was Shuko Krispies. And there was a toxic waste pipe that had Shuko Industries on it. Is that ever brought up in any meaningful way in this movie? In the 90s, you know, anything corporate, it's just easy to make them the villain. It helps sell the idea that Robert Patrick is a bad guy because he is the head of a major international corporation that automatically reads as evil. I'm not sure that if he got two medallions that things could get worse. Honestly, let him rule this. I mean, how could it be worse? It reminds me of in DC Comics when Lex Luthor became president. I mean, if this guy's offering millions of dollars to the police and he's going to create peace let him yeah i i actually think it's an improvement it's the <laughs> rare case where i'm just like yeah i think the villain should win <laughs> there's no reason to fight him no if he can keep the gangs and deputize the gangs fire the police it's orderly now you can i mean is there much difference between protection money and taxes i don't think so no not really but again <laughs> this is not a director that has thought very deeply about his satire i can't imagine what was in it for him other than the being able to say i'm now credited as a feature film director but i don't see an eye for flash visuals i don't see him bringing cool music that's what i said even his music videos weren't that great i mean i do think that the power corp is supposed to be some kind of representation of teenage cool at the time it's rave culture it's what we would see in hackers and train spotting and you know all of that club kid life is sort of what this is supposed to be. I mean, once the boys finally get back to their realm, I think that we're supposed to want to be a part of that. <laughs> it reminded me of the foot gang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, where you just had a whole bunch of kids with stolen televisions and things. And I'm sorry, but they just felt too commercialized with their graffiti camouflage jackets or something. It's like there was something about them that was surreal and i was actually preferring the gangs where i felt like i had grounding i know what these gangs are i've seen the warriors i get what they're trying to do this underground youth movement i'm honestly at a loss as to what this is representing if they're supposed to be the rebels i mean the closest equivalency i can come to is like the anti-war college kids of the 60s against vietnam they look far too well kept. I think the movie is telling us that this is for this demographic. When you see the boys being faced off against 10-year-old boys in splatter jackets, it's, oh, okay, 10-year-olds are supposed to want to see this movie. To which case, by the time I'm realizing that, I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of choices that you could have made that would have set us up for that and would have made this movie more fun for the 10-year-old, honestly. Yeah, and more specifically for that demographic, that's not necessarily into that counter street culture, but that part of the culture that has already been subjugated by like Benetton and put on sale at the mall right. is basically what we're looking at here. Yeah. And I watched the trailers for this movie. Thanks, German Blu-ray. And it's not marketed like a kid's movie. This is not marketed like Richie Rich from around the same time or mm. the Flintstones. Super Mario Brothers. Well, Mario Brothers wasn't exactly marketed like a kid's movie either. That had a 
skanky feel just You're in the right. trailer. I know. I really want to just burn my skin in a, the hottest shower possible after these weeks you watch the movie. They can't all be like that, right? I mean, I'm not going to get scabies by the end of this. <laughs> well, just be sure to eat plenty of spinach to keep it away. Oh, God. Just, you had to just bring that up. Oh, God. And you thought it wouldn't get worse than Marvel TV movies. Ay, ay. Yeah, I'm at a little bit of a loss. I can't say that I loved 90s fashion when I was living in the 90s. So all these kids with their backwards caps and their multicolored clothes. But yeah, they finally get there. I mean, we have a car chase. We have a boat chase. We have a foot chase. All of this. No fighting, though. Yes, no scene that looked like anything from the game where you were punching, kicking in the air, doing flips, and amazing fighting choreography. How hard is it to have someone come at you with a chain? you punch them they drop it you grab the chain but here's the thing here's what i gotta ask because i remember there this was some concern about even the turtles movies was that if you're making a movie for 10 year old kids do you want to show the way that conflict gets resolved as a bunch of punching and kicking are you essentially sending the wrong message to impressionable youth by saying fighting is the answer I do think there was some hesitation to glamorize fight choreography. Absolutely right, Stuart. This is right in the heart of helicopter moms overreacting to violence on TV because kids are out in the yard with broomsticks hitting each other and kicking each other in the face, trying to emulate the Ninja Turtles and whatnot. And not just TV culture. I mean, video games themselves where like that's going to make you a killer or something if you play too much fighting. I remember there were congressional hearings about some of that, and it was around the time as the gangster rap music, too. So there was just a lot of we hate entertainment. Yeah, I get that, but you know what movie you're making, and it's not like we didn't have Sly and Arnold out there punching people anyway. So the choices of this movie really make this middle half intolerable. Yeah. It's not for us. And again, I'm trying to meet this movie at whatever level it's supposed to be. I think the problem is, is that they wanted to make Double Dragon for an audience that is too young to play Double Dragon. And so you have nothing. I mean, that's like a cooking show with no food. You mean like Iron Chef with no secret ingredients? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you have nothing to present if you don't do fighting in a Double Dragon movie. You have a lot of running around in colorful outfits until we get to some kind of climax here at Shuko Tower. Yeah, by this point, they've converted Boa Bobo to a friend. I mean, admittedly, this is the kind of thing that the Double Dragon cartoon was predicated on. The entire series, they like kept turning enemies to good. But he should be your second boss. Lash? Boa Bobo, and then, I guess for whatever reason, Robert Patrick, should be the final three you face off against. Yeah, I mean, up until this point, we've seen some fisticuffs, you know, some scuffles, but no fights. I mean, we've seen the gangs miss. They threw some car doors at them, and some people jumped at them, and they missed. Then they go to Shuko's tower, and they break in there, and there's a little bit of a- Ass shot. Yeah, there's an ass shot. <laughs> a little bit of a fight there's a scene in the basement of shuko's tower 
where some of these captured teens, which is, I don't know where they even came from, start reanimating almost like zombies. Let's dwell on this just a, a tad, <laughs> shall we? So I, I feel like we're, we should be in the last moments of the movie, but maybe it isn't feature length yet. So they're really going to drag this out. But yeah, they basically confronted Shuko in the one place he lives. He lives in this office where he's always telling stories and pontificating and wearing sunglasses and smoking. And I feel like this should be the time to do the major fight and we're done. But they end up going down an elevator shaft where there's all these bodies in cryogenics, you know, frozen for some reason. And because Robert Patrick can jump around as a silhouette, it means that he can slip into whatever body he wants. And we have some what should be fun and should be extrapolated in some way, he's jumping into a basketball player and later a cyborg. I had to look up this basketball player character because I thought for sure what they were doing or somebody on set was doing here was an homage to Bruce Lee fighting Wilt Chamberlain. Oh. But this is nobody. I thought maybe this would be an NBA star from the time or maybe a popular college basketball player. He's nobody. It's just a guy who's tall and wearing basketball shorts. And... I don't remember any cyborgs from any of the games. What's really sad is, yes, we get a little bit of fighting because Jimmy decides to stand up to the cyborg and fight. You know who has the best fight here? Alyssa Milano's police chief father who gets into a bow staff fight with Lash. The two of them get to kind of duke it out with weapons while our heroes flee. Yeah, I, I agree. He is in many ways the most relatable character. He's going around from place to place, like begging the police to do their job. He wants to establish order of some kind. He's the one that gets some fisticuffs in here. He's the adult. Again, I think they're very comfortable having the old fogey, you know, maybe get into a scuffle. They don't want impressionable youth to see the youthful characters do the same thing. And again, that's so stupid. Don't make a movie if you don't like the subject matter. But then we wouldn't have jokes about Madonna and Tom Arnold's marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Those age very well. And Admitt Admittedly, I think Madonna's marriage did collapse in 2007. But, <laughs> but yeah, I just... The whole movie is falling apart here. Then after that fight, we're going to get the scene of the police chief trying to get his cops to do something. And they're just like, no. This is very RoboCop, right? That was always the Nancy Allen role would be she would be the one dealing with the everyday cops and how they were dealing with whatever situation while Murphy had all of the fun with the fights. And we don't know any of these cops. It's not a movie where the adult characters have been featured enough for us to care. This is to fill out the time until we can get to 90 minutes. Yeah, and we finally do... We get to the final climax. I only know that because the frenzied music is getting faster. I'm just like, it feels like the climax, but I thought that 15 minutes ago, too. Yeah. And no, they're just going to take us to an arcade. The most video game we see, the most Double Dragon we see is here in the arcade because they actually have a Double Dragon arcade game that they're going to smash. Yeah. <laughs> The medallion finally comes together. You know, that's what we've been waiting for. What does it do? What's it going to make Robert Patrick do? I assume he's going to turn into a giant creature, right? Like if a Bobo is going to be big, he's going to be even bigger. I thought, honestly, if one is soul and the other is body, if soul allows him to astrally project and possess people, then I thought the body one would just make him invulnerable. Like, you couldn't move him. He'd be just like the juggernaut from Marvel Comics. You kick him, you punch him, he's just gonna stand there. You can never kill him. And that's the only thing he could want, right? He's already rich. 
So I think the only thing he wants is immortality at this point. So that's what I would think that would give. Yeah, but it really what it does is it means for Scott Wolf's character, Billy, it means he gets a fight in with his brother. We hinted that that had been a storyline in video games and cartoons. And I think this was smart. They probably should have even done this a little earlier or set it up a little better. But yeah, why not have these brothers, after preferably fighting all of these other people, have the final fight be between them? Who's going to be better, Billy or Jimmy? I would think video game players would want to know that. We don't really get that fight, though, because Billy's just going to run again. He's going to jump from arcade game to arcade game, avoiding the fight because he doesn't want to punch his brother. Although he eventually does kind of knock the shadow Robert Patrick out of him. I mean, it sort of happens. If that's not enough, Shuko finally gets both halves of the medallion and puts them together. And what happens? He splits into two kind of Shogun-looking characters that look like they were burnt 35 years ago. You know what? Go for it. One of the things about Double Dragon 2 that was always strange to me, but they parodied it in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, you beat the bad guy in Double Dragon 2, but there's one more enemy. Yourself. Your shadow self. (laughs) And so you have to fight your shadow self. I actually went with the shadow thing. I'm like, give me the martial arts now. Give me a massive kung fu battle. Give me something where they end up knocking the medallion off the shadow people. No, literally, you know what it is? (laughs) They've hit feature length. Alyssa Milano's going to turn on the lights so we can all go home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just disappointed they didn't play Snaps, I Have the Power. Because, I mean, they played every other early 90s club song. And here, yeah, they get their suits. This is what they wear in the video games. One's in red, one's in blue. I don't remember them having sequins and looking like a Broadway dance troupe. <laughs> no, but it's the movies, Arnie. You gotta make it bigger and better. Yeah, somebody was trying to sell a bedazzler at this point because <laughs> they were, those were fabulous. They were fabulous. Camp it up. Be bigger. Be funnier. I mean, well, they are funny. I mean, Lash takes out Alyssa Milano and says, now who's the boss? Mm. And then Alyssa Milano fights back and tells the General Hospital star, I usually put my people in the hospital. Oh, I didn't even (laughs) catch that, but maybe I wasn't even looking at the screen anymore. Come on, now who's the boss just ate at my soul. That is to me in this movie what the spinach is to you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the the movie has become at least somewhat self-aware. The characters laugh at their outfits. They're making referential jokes in and out of universe. A little too late. Sure, way too late. They've just had a huge fight with all the gangs in their thing, and now they have the major, major boss fight that just feels empty, and by the time it's over, it just kind of feels like, eh. Okay, whatever. Yeah, they turned on the lights, and yeah. then they wrapped him in a chain. And now what's going to happen? Because Robert Patrick's not going to take over, the cops are going to maybe do their job and put down the gang? It's not really clear how this is a happy ending. It's only a happy ending because all the principal characters are going to pile into the same garbage car and go blasting off into presumably oblivion. I felt like they left stuff for the sequel, though, didn't you? Like, Billy and Marion, they almost kiss at one point in the movie, but it's never really consummated, and there's the romantic tension, and then there's the two brothers who feel like they're fighting over Marion's affection a little bit, but she obviously prefers Billy. The gang still own the streets, 
I really felt like they had left this open for a part two. Oh, yeah, with the Bobo at the wheel. Is that where this franchise was planning on going? I'll take the spinach. <laughs> <laughs> so, as the movie said, there's really no decision to be made here. But Justin Stewart, do you recommend Double Dragon? Justin. I'll give my absolute red arrow as much effort as the guys who made this movie put into making the movie. And I'm almost half tempted to sit here and read a list of better movies that you can spend your time (laughs) watching that this movie tried to rip off from. If you want this type of action, go see Mutant Ninja Turtles. Go see RoboCop. It's all there. There's nothing here for me at this age. There's nothing here for me if I was eight years old. There's nothing here for me if I was 15 years old. We've talked about it. None of us can figure out who this movie is made for. I don't think they knew who it was made for. There must be somebody out there who has enough sense to make this movie hard to find because it's just not even worth the 90 minutes that it takes to sit through. Stuart. Do I like this movie? Does anyone like this movie? I went to Rotten Tomatoes and I was furious to find out it had 8% recommend. (laughs) Who are these people? I'm ready to brand them terrorists and go to war. Nobody likes this movie. It's impossible. It's physically impossible to like this movie. Now, could it have worked? Maybe if they had just gone with the Power Rangers approach. I mean, they didn't base this on a game. They looked at Morphins and other things that were popular at the time and said, okay, let's do it that way. You still need wanton destruction. Maybe you can't do fist-to-fist blood punch and violence, but kids want to see things wrecked, crashed, smashed. Sets need to come toppling down. You want to watch larger-than-life creatures battling it out and bringing on big destruction. That's not here. I mean, that is a staple for kids' movies. Instead, we see a steroided-out grotesque being shoveled spinach in his face. Again, the worst sensation (laughs) I've had watching a movie, and I sat through Human Centipede 3. (laughs) This is just gross miscalculated, and the director deserved to be run out on a rail. Well, I can't beat that righteous indignation there, you know? I thought I might be able to, but no. I just think this is a bad movie. I mean, Double Dragon, no, just Double Drowsy. I wanted to go to sleep in the middle of this. There was nothing other than now playing, that was compelling me to leave this on. I couldn't even understand half of what they're saying. They're on a boat, and they're like, we can't get in the water, the water's toxic. Then they get in the water, and they're fine. I'm just pissed. Justin, you said you could list movies this film ripped off that were better. I kept thinking about really bad films from around the same time that are still better. My go-to was Surf Ninjas. Surf Ninjas is not a movie that should be seen by anyone, but it's better than this. I mean, I kept thinking it would be better if Ernie Reyes Jr., star of Surf Ninjas, was in here. I kept thinking it would be better if Rob Schneider, star of Surf Ninjas, is in here. (laughs) Yeah, Tank Girl could come and piss on this thing and feel good about it. (laughs) I mean, it's bad when my favorite characters are Vanna White and Andy Dick, and I hate Andy Dick. (laughs) It's a strong not recommend. Mm. Yeah, you would be better off watching a play-by-play of the game. Honestly, all exaggeration aside, I'd rather have watched someone play the game and beat it than sit through this thing. Yeah, I would have rather beat it than watch this thing too. 
Is there anything here to make? I mean, I didn't leave with any strong impression that this ever needed to be a movie. Obviously, they would never make a sequel to this. It's horrible. It's awful. But reboot? You know, it's very trendy these days. Do we need to see Jimmy and Billy Lee doing something in a major motion picture in the future? I contend that this movie, I've been saying it throughout, was six years past its prime anyway. And I don't know that the name Double Dragon carries enough clout nowadays to even have a nostalgic reboot factor that would get enough people interested in going to check that out. I completely agree is the game series is dead. I mean, they came out with a couple of them, but it's really on life support. The company that made the Double Dragon games ended up getting sold and the new company took away everything that was unique to Double Dragon and turned it into Street Fighter and like I say, Double Dragon Neon came out, kind of a port of the original, and it's it's more fun than this movie by far. Well, but it's not like this is a series that did very well, and it's telling that most of the games for Double Dragon were on systems I can't even dig out of my closet anymore because they're just so old. So no, I don't think there's anything here. But this movie does have one legacy. That video game they were going to do where they had pictures of Scott Wolf and everything, that never got made. Mercifully. But they did make a game that came out in 95. It was a Neo Geo exclusive, if you remember the Neo Geo. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I thought about buying it. It was just called Double Dragon. It was a Street Fighter-esque game. And the characters did not look like the movie. They were very anime style. I was a little bit disappointed after what I'd read. I went in expecting to see short blonde-haired Marion and looks like he's wearing a balloon under his outfit, a Bobo. Marion and a Bobo are there, but this was a Double Dragon game time to come out around the same time as the movie and i kid you not the truck with the teeth is in the background of one of your fighting scenes and in another one there's a television that is showing stills from this movie so you get to see the billy and jimmy from this movie on a television while you play a game now <laughs> how very ecological that what good recycling they're still putting garbage in the car very good on them okay <laughs> If they would have happened to have the shot where the Double Dragon arcade machine was in the background of one of those shots, they might have opened up a wormhole with all the self-referencing <laughs> they're doing here. All right, so we're done with Double Dragon. Good. I mean, again, the only reason I can think of to even remake it is get some real martial arts stars. If you got people that actually can fight, then maybe you can just put them in this and they can show that off. But these guys couldn't fight. I'm ready for some punching. I'm ready for some street fighting. Yeah, because when I think great martial artists, I think of Kristen Krook. Well, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Raul Julia kicks ass. <laughs> Kylie Minogue, we know secretly when she's not doing the locomotion, she's really punching it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Our next two weeks, we're going to duke it out over Street Fighter and Street Fighter, the legend of Chun-Li. But in between, I'm going to say there's an oasis of happiness for me. Thanks to one of our generous patrons, this Sunday, we're going to be reviewing something that actually seemed to time very well with Double Dragon. We're going to be doing Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. No more dragons, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with dragons forever after this film. I'm seeing double. 
So we're never reviewing Dragonheart? I'd be okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) I am the last one. (laughs) (laughs) So we hope, patrons, you can join us Sunday as we go back to the 80s. Show enough. And if you enjoyed this podcast or if you enjoy this series we do, please head to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, put some writing in there. We do read the stuff that's put there. We greatly appreciate some kind comments. There's a link to our iTunes listing from our homepage. And finally, there's only one more day in our donation drive where we did the series of Phantasm, Hellraiser, Jeepers Creepers, and the extended series of Child's Play, plus just a day left to order our made-to-order 10th anniversary DVD ROM sets that has every podcast we have done 2013 through 2017, or if you get the 5th anniversary set, get every podcast we've ever done, including the bonus Now Peaking DVD ROM set. Just one more day for those. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And thank you very much to those who support our show, either verbally or financially. So we'll be back next week with Street Fighter. And no, I'm not talking about Sonny Chiba's film. Until then, game over. Destiny has brought together the double dragons. Guard them as I guarded you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm tired of this game. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. It's a great plan. She's uploading the download. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, Super Mario Brothers, The Wizard, and more. Dude, you must suck video games! Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Let's have some fun. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. We could help each other. What do you say? Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Give me a hundred bucks or I'll tell Dad about your hair. Okay, just five bucks, but you owe me. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. 50 bucks, man. We accept all major credit cards, including American Express. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. The only thing that matters now is that you and me work together, because we ain't got nobody else. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss these movies and games with other listeners. And if we don't jack in, we'll all be vapor! 
If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. So remember, if you didn't buy from us, you don't know Jack City. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Huey, Lewis, any news? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now there's the boss. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Do it right this time. I did it right last time. Now Playing credits read by Brock. Shh. We're dead. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Do you hear that? Sirens. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. No comment. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You think I'm bad? Where do you meet my lawyers? <laughs> It's a wrap. It was supposed to be synergy. You're not talking about Jim and the holograms, are you? No. That's <laughs> a crossover no one needs. It would be outrageous. Mark Descascos. Is that how you say it? We're going to struggle with this one all night. Just call him Jimmy Lee. No, no. Right. Give some guy a, nud, a, a wedgie instead. Or what's that called? A nudgie? What do you call that when you grab someone and, and do the knuckles over their heads? A noogie, yeah. Which is really weird why you have Scott Foley. I guess maybe he... Hey, Scott Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get any of the people. Like, Debbie Gibson ain't throwing him a track. Michael Jackson, I mean, nobody that was A-list. I, I mean, I guess Debbie was out by 94, but... Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Power Corp is supposed to be some kind of representation of rave culture at the time, which would have just been building her haircut. Oh, you said rave culture? You said rape culture? No, no, no. I'll say it again, because I really want to be understood. (laughs) I'm like, what? Yeah, no, it's definitely not that deep. (laughs) I mean, it's a bad haircut, but I don't know that, I mean... I did such a like, I know you looked alarmed. I was just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like hacker's hair. <laughs> I'll let you recover. <laughs> yeah, this is what I wrote in film school. Papers about deconstruction of rape culture as seen through Double Dragon. <laughs> Someone did write those papers. I, got, I avoided film, film theory classes, but you did end up having to write shit like that. <laughs> I just was like, what the f- where did this car I know, you looked horrified. <laughs> <laughs>